Well, this morning we're back in First Peter. So, towards the end of the New Testament, First Peter chapter three. It's been two weeks since we've been in Peter. We've been walking through Peter. We titled this whole sermon series on Peter: Hope in the midst of chaos. I had someone ask me this morning, "Does that mean there's chaos in marriage?" I said, absolutely. At times there is chaos in marriage, um, just like there's chaos in life. And so, again, Peter wrote the book of Peter to the early church as they were spread out through all of Asia, um, Asia Minor. They were just dealing with chaos of life and, and persecution and the Roman Empire and, and all kinds of things. And so this, this whole book was an encouragement and Peter touches on marriage in, in the first eight verses of this chapter, as does Paul in Ephesians 5 and Corinthians 7. Um, even, I think, aspects of Titus 2 um, by Paul should be considered. So we're going to cross-reference some things because I don't think you can talk about biblical marriage without cross-referencing some things. Um, the one thing I, I love, you know, depending on what side of history you want to listen to, Peter and Paul were not always on the same page. Uh, Peter and Paul at times fought. They kind of had a different opinion of what church should look like, the Gentiles and all that. But the one thing I do appreciate about both Peter, Paul and even John and James is when every time they talked about marriage, they were definitely on the same page. Uh, the early church clearly had I, the, the teaching for what marriage should look like. Doesn't mean obviously everybody did it or applied it. But these guys were on the same page when it came to marriage. And so, again, we'll kind of look at a few different verses this morning uh, this is not going to be an exhaustive study. Uh, we could probably spend two weeks on this. And in fact, Karen and I did a Bible uh, Sunday school class not long ago about marriage. Um, and maybe we need to do that again sometime. Uh, but I, I definitely want to touch on a few principles that Peter specifically talks about here uh, that Paul doesn't as much in Ephesians and Corinthians. Um, Paul, Paul focuses a lot more on our role as men being the leaders Rolling it, uh, leading the marriage, and, and Peter t- definitely touches on that in verses seven and eight. Uh, but he's he's kind of addressing something else. Um, and so I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm kind of kind of start backwards and work my way forward uh, because for whatever reason, both these guys always talk to the women first and then the men second. Um, and, and that was because the men were held responsible. And so they would talk to the, the lesser responsible party and then the, and then the second. But I kind of want to talk to us men first, uh, cause I think it starts with us. And if we're not willing to lay, if we're not willing to lead our wives and our families, then, then it's going to be really hard. I mean, our wives are not without excuse, but the, the better we lead, the more likely they're going to be to love and respect us as well. So I'm just going to read this to you guys and then we are, I'm uh, going to kind of, like I said, start backwards. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to their own husbands. So that they may so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When you when they see your respect and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are their children, and you are their, her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands will live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are they are hairs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So right off the bat, a couple of things I just want to address first and foremost is as first off, as is today, women tend to become Christians before men. It's just a fact like you can you can argue with me all day long, but I mean, it is a fact throughout history. Women tend to become Christians before men. Why? Guys, it's because we're arrogant and prideful. I mean, it's just that simple. Thank you, Leif, for nodding. I appreciate that. We are. We're just we're arrogant and prideful. So we have to be shown that something is true. Women tend to discern and listen better. As a whole, obviously that does not mean every single man and woman fit into that category in this congregation. But as a whole, women tend to listen better, think about things better, and weigh their options. Guys, we tend to not listen because we know best. So as a whole, women tend to come to the Lord before men. The same thing was happening in Peter's day. Okay, so many women were coming to the church. Many women were becoming Christians. Now, the difference between Peter's day and our day is that in a lot of cases, women were considered property. They were considered almost slaves. And so they had to obey the law of the house. Men were were almost kings in the Roman culture within their house. And so to worship anything other than what the man of the house said could potentially land you in jail or worse. And so the, the man's word was absolute law. Now, the reason that he says in seven, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, is Peter is reminding them of all the way back in Genesis one twenty seven that men and women were created equally in God's image. Galatians 3.28 also talks about that, that we have this equality in God. So Peter is not literally saying women are weaker than men. But unfortunately, that's been something that's been taught. That is one aspect of this particular passage that has been twisted. And so we say, oh, women are weaker. No, we're equal, but we're different. So we're created equal in God's image. We're created equal. Genesis 1, 27, 3, 23, all those verses in Genesis. And we I don't have time to turn there. If you don't believe me, look them up. We've talked about this a lot. I will read to you Galatians 3.28, though, because I want you to not think I'm making this stuff up. So Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew or Greek, neither slave or free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. So again, this this concept that Paul and Peter and others kept teaching over and over is that we are all one in Christ. We are created equal in Christ. We have equal roles in Christ, but we're also different. And so I firmly believe what Peter is saying here is that simply men do not use your 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 height, your power, your might to lord over your wives. When he is saying the weaker vessel, he literally means physically, generally women are physically weaker than men. Unless you're married to a bodybuilder woman, most women generally are weaker than men. And so what Peter is talking about here is not calling women a weaker vessel, not blaming women before the fall, not blaming women for what happened in the garden, because that falls on the responsibility of man. We were told to guard creation. Part of guarding creation would have been guarding Eve. We screwed that up. But we want to blame people. Right. Peter is literally saying, look, generally speaking, women are weaker. So you need to live with them. 
Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. In other words, when you're having a conversation, you don't puff up your chest. You don't get in their faces. You don't get, like, yell at them and make them belittled. And you know what? That happens a lot in marriages. Men tend to want to use their power. I mean, and you guys know what I'm talking about. We've Honestly, if most of the men in the room are honest, we've probably battled that at times. You, uh, you just want to get loud. You want to get in their face. You want to prove you're right. And obviously that can lead to abuse, both physically and emotionally abuse. And that's exactly what Peter's talking about. He says, men, you, even though you're the stronger person, generally speaking, even though you're the bigger person, generally speaking, do not use that to prey on women. Do not use that to abuse women. You need to live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, why was that important? Well, it was important because he's writing this to a bunch of people who are unequally yoked. The majority of people in the early church, one was saved and one was not saved. The, the church was baby, it was infant, it was new. It was very uncommon to have two people come to the Lord at the same time. In fact, in all of the New Testament, we only know of one actual couple that worked together. They were Priscilla and Aquila, right? Now, were there other couples? Of course there were. But very common, people came to the Lord at different times. And so for a lot of the audience, for Paul and Peter, that's why they talk so much about being unequally yoked and being an example to your, your husband or your wife. That's why all of 1 Corinthians 7 is saying, look, if your unbelieving spouse wants to stay with you, then stay. Don't leave. Be an example. This, this idea of unequally yoked was huge. In this time period, because, again, usually the women came to the the way Christianity, the church first, and in many cases, their husbands followed. And so Peter is reminding men. Because their men maybe hear this and also these new believers, these new believers, these men who have been used to be dominating their house by force, by power, by in some cases abuse, because that's how the Roman culture worked. He's reminding them, look, you have to leave that, right? I saw this phrase this week, and I've used it several times since then, Wednesday night and this morning in Sunday school. There has to be regeneration from our reformation. So as people are reformed, as because they come to know Christ, you are regenerated. You become a new being, a new creature. That's why Paul and Peter and these guys talk about that all the time. You are a new self. You die to the old self. You are this new person. And so he's reminding these husbands who have been used to using their pure force to make happen whatever's going to happen in their home, Because women, unfortunately, were treated as objects, treated like slaves, treated as property. There was not an equalness. He said, but now you're Christians. So now you're both equal in God's image. Now you both are on the same playing field. You're both made into God's image. It's no longer Greek or Jew or slave or man or woman. It's just you're a body of Christ. He's like, men, so you've got to live with understanding. You've got to listen to your wives. You've got to love your wives. You've got to understand them. And you have to show honor to them. Don't puff up your chest. Don't abuse them. Don't yell at them. Don't get in their faces. You must show honor to the woman since they are heirs with you. And that's why he threw that in there. Peter's like, look, they're heirs with you. It's no longer you're the best and they're underneath you. You are on equal playing field. You are both heirs to the kingdom of heaven. It's huge. It's changing the way of life. It was changing marriage. And for Karen and I, like marriage has been a passion of our ministry for, for every, every church we've worked in. Whether it's been serving as a youth pastor or serving on the mission field, marriages are just broken. They're broken in the state of Indiana. They're broken in the state of Pennsylvania. They're broken in West Africa. And believe it or not, they're broken in Missouri too. 
Marriages are broken across our world. Generally, we were dealing with the teens and the young people coming out of that or living in that or getting ready to get married. And we spent lots of time talking to to the college age people, the young adults who are walking into marriage and coming to Karen and I and going, I have no idea what that looks like. My home is broken. I, I don't know my dad. I don't know my mom. There was no relationship. How do I be a Christian wife? How do I be a Christian husband? What does that look like? So this is a topic that we personally have probably studied more than any other topic in the Bible. Our own story, the own brokenness that my wife came out of and, and, and just learning how that looks and, and, and finding out how I needed to lead and how she was going to respond because of things that happened in her childhood and when she was a teenager. Because, guys, the reality is everything that happens to us has a consequence, good or bad. The words that we say, the things that we do, the things that happen to people, there's going to be a reaction, Right? As a young person, if you are bullied and someone gets up in your face, you're going to immediately respond to that because it brings back all those feelings and all those emotions because of what happened to you as a young person. So if you were picked on, if you were abused, if someone got in your face and was like this, the moment someone raises their voice, you're going to, you're just going to back down. I mean, all our whole life, we carry baggage into all of it. And then obviously going to West Africa, where, where women were beaten and were property, and all of a sudden they're becoming Christians. I mean, I mean, I remember the first thing Jibby said to me when I could actually understand language is he goes, how do I be a husband? He, he, he's like, I, I don't know how to be a husband. All I've known to do is when my wife says no, I beat her until she says yes. Yeah, you guys are smirking and laughing, but that's the reality of what most of the world lives in. A woman says no and they're beaten until they say yes. That is how 90% of the world actually functions. You take out Europe, Canada, and America, and most women live like that. No matter where you go. No matter where you go. You spend time talking to MAF missionaries, they're going to see it. You spend time in Central America, South America, Africa, Asia. Wow, you will see that. So Jimmy comes to me, he goes, I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to be a father. The only thing I've known is a stick. And I carried a big stick and it worked. And he's like, I got to put this big stick down. So again, we, we studied this. This has been a passion of us. Passion of us. And frankly, if you want to be honest, Binta, his wife, is way stronger than him. Wow. The biceps on that woman rival Josh, Jordan, and Levi. I mean, you guys got some big biceps. This woman could take you guys out. I'm not joking. I mean, she carries water all the time. She's pounding rice all the time. She's got 10 kids. She's ten. I mean, her biceps scare me. Like, they're bigger than my legs. I'm not joking. Binta's a beast. And if Binta wanted to, Jimmy would be on the ground. And that's what I loved about their marriage. Is that even though Jimmy easily could have been on the ground because Binta's a beast, man, she loves him. And she submits to him and she would come to Karen and just ask these questions like, what does this look like? How do I do this well? How how do I submit to my husband? Because because again, there's hurt there. She's like, how do I submit to the man that spent years and years and years beating me? How do I love the man who's completely changed? I mean, I, I wish I wish I had their story in English for you. I mean, talk about regeneration. I just remember her one night, just both of them in our, in our, in our, whatever you want to call it, living room, kitchen, whatever it was, just bawling. 
And she's like, how do I love this man? How do I trust this man that for most of my life has beaten the tar out of me? It was an honest, legit question. She's like, he's changed. I, I see the change in him. I know he's changed, but how do, how do I love him? How do I forgive that? And how do I teach the women of these village how to love their husbands and be Christian wives? I mean, just phenomenal conversations, phenomenal questions. And so, again, I'm starting backwards, but that's why Peter is talking about this. It's that same world concept, that same worldview that is still going on in so much of the world we live in. He's reminding men, husbands, who have left this, who have left this idea of abuse and, and, and winning because they're simply bigger. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman, who in a lot of cases is the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then he, and he throws in this last little bit. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I love that Peter says that. He's like, essentially, Peter's saying, look, if you're not going to lead your family well, if you're not going to lead your wife well, if you're not going to start at home, why would you think God's going to listen to your prayers? That's the challenge that Peter's throwing out there. He says, honor your wives, live with them well, listen to them, have understanding, how, whatever adjective you want to use. He says, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, men, it starts with us. He's like, it starts with you guys. How are you leading your families? How are you loving your wives? How are you leading your lives? How are you being heirs with your wife? Because it starts with you. And he's saying, the Lord, he's saying, look, if you can't even take care of that, why in the world would the Lord listen to your prayers? He didn't say you won't listen to him. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In my cliff notes, it says, Peter did not think women are inferior to men, for both are equally made in God's image. If husbands do not treat their wives in a godly way, the Lord will pay no heed to their prayers. He's reminding us that it starts with us, men. It starts with how we love our wives, how we look at our lives. And so, again, just going over to Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to read some of these things. Again, we don't have time to like walk through each one. I wish we did. Again, he starts with the wives. But there's a whole lot more in Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands. Starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Peter's telling them to live in an understanding way to show honor. Paul expands upon that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ did? He sacrificed everything for the church. Christ died for the church. So husbands, we're supposed to love our wives the same way. Give himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. In the same way, husbands love your, in the same way, husbands should love their wives with their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of this body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I love that, that he ends this passage in, in Ephesians 5. He says, this is the mystery is profound. In other words, Paul reminds us that the mystery of marriage is just crazy. He's like, there's this mystery about marriage. Marriage is the mystery of God's will. God created marriage all the way back in Genesis. But there are aspects of it that just don't always make sense. And Peter, Paul says there's this, this, this mystery of it. 
But this is the model that we had. This is the model we had in the garden. This is what Jesus taught us. And this is how we need to do. So love our wives. Give up for our wives. Take care of our wives the same way that we would take care of our own body. So likewise, husbands, love your wives. Live with your wives in understanding. Then to go forward to the beginning of it, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without word by the conduct of their wives. In other words, Peter's writing to these women in the church. He goes, I know you're unequally yoked. He goes, I know that you're in a marriage where your husband is still worshiping the emperor or still worshiping the gods of Roman. I get that. He goes, but you need to be subject to your husband, not to men. Notice he does not say wives be subject to all men. He simply says, wife, wife, wives, you need to be subject to your own husband. So this does not give the authority for man to just rule over woman, which again has been misrepresented, mistaught in some churches. That's not what Peter was saying. He's saying, Peter, look, look, if you're if you're married to a husband who does not know the Lord, he's not living for the Lord. Look, you still have to be subject to him. Now, obviously, we know from other parts of scriptures that there comes a point in time where you can't be subject. If that word is going against God's will. So if that husband is asking the wife to do something that would not honor God, then she has to stop. But he said, look, you need to be subject to your husbands, even if they're not obeying the word, that they may be won over without word by the conduct of their wives. Because when they see your respectful and pure conduct, they're going to go, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? Why is my wife acting this way? Why is my wife acting so differently and it's so cool, the different stories I've heard over the years of this exact thing happening even today. I remember this, this couple we heard speak years ago at a youth convention. Um, they had a really cool story. I won't go into all of it because it's, it's rated TV MA and uh, there's too many children in the room. Um, but it was a cool story. It was really cool and really cool what they did. But the one thing, the wife became a Christian first. And she said, you know, before she became a Christian, just her, her husband was an idiot. Just stupid, moron. And she goes, anytime I had a chance, I just belittled him. I put him down. I criticized him. I criticized him to my girlfriends, to the neighborhood. Anywhere I went, I put my husband down. I just trashed him. She goes, I became a Christian. And as I grew, some women in the church, which we'll get there in a second, Titus 2, right? Some women in the church began to disciple me. And the first thing they said is, look, you, you got to stop treating your husband like this. Like, all you do is criticize him. All you do is put him down. All you do is belittle him. You need to love him and honor him and respect him. And they showed her these different verses in, in Peter and Ephesians, Corinthians, Titus. And so she began to do that. She simply began to be respectful and kind. And in this particular story, it's what brought the husband to the Lord. He saw that change in his wife. She didn't say a thing. She didn't say, well, you need Jesus, you idiot. You need Jesus, you buffoon. I found Jesus. What's your problem? She simply started living differently. She treated him with respect and honor. And in time, that husband noticed that. And he's like, why are you, like, you've stopped belittling me. You've stopped criticizing me. Like, you're actually being kind to me. Like, do you want something? You know, like a lot of us would think. She's like, no, I, I, I don't want anything. I just, this is who I need to be. And so the husband began to come to church and, and they became both our Christians they do ministry, they do biblical counseling, marriage counseling. They, again, have a cool, cool story. But I just remember that story. She was like, just started treating him with respect. 
And I throw that out to all the wives in the room. How many times are you bashing your husband in a small group, in Sunday school, in the community? Maybe on purpose, maybe not on purpose. But think about that. Think about the way we talk. It goes, it's a two-way street. Men, we need to love our wives with understanding. We need to show honor. Well, showing honor is definitely not belittling them. But it's, it's the same way. Wives, you need to be showing us respect and honor and not be belittling us. That, that's the one thing that breaks my heart in church. I've been doing this for 16 years. And, you know, you just, you hear conversations. And again, every state, every church, all marriages are broken. But the belittling the critical spirit, the tearing down that I hear on both sides. The men get together and they do it. The women get together and they do it. And it just breaks my heart that our marriages are that broken, but we try to pretend that they're not. So he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That they may be won over. Which is even harder when you're unequally yoked. And again, which is why I always tell young people, and I will still tell this to the day I die, do not marry a non-Christian. The dumbest plan in the world to marry a non-Christian. I, I just, I, to me, it's the dumbest plan. You can tell me I'm wrong. But I've seen so many people go, I will win them over. I will save them. Generally, it does not work out that way. There is those few stories where it does. And you can celebrate those and say, Mike, you're wrong because I know so-and-so and that's happened. But overall, it does not happen that way. I used to tell the youth, I said, don't even date till you're ready to get married. It's a waste of time, and it'll break your heart. I remember a young, one young woman, and I have her permission to share this story. I've, I've asked her before. Uh, her name was Sadie. Man, and she was dating this, yeah, well, we won't say what he was. Uh, he was the, the high school quarterback, and he knew it. And I went to her, and I said, what, what are you doing? Like, you need to dump this guy. He is using you. You are beautiful. You are God's creation. Like, just walk away. I mean, we got into it. Like, this was at a fall camp, and it got heated. I mean, she was mad at me. I mean, like, it was probably the only time I've ever had a youth kid, like, mad at me. And I was pretty heated with her because this guy was just taking advantage of her. Thankfully, she took a gap year. She went away to Indonesia with yes. And about two months in, she wrote us this very, very, very long message on Facebook. And we were actually in West Africa. We, we left the country at the same time. She went to Indonesia. We went to West Africa. And she just said, to sum it all up, she said, Mike, you were right and thanks for caring. And she dumped that kid like yesterday's news. She finally saw it. But she was convinced she was going to save this kid. She was convinced he was going to change for her. And I said, Sadie, he's never going to change for you. He is who he is. Until Jesus gets a hold of him, he will not change for you. It just doesn't happen. You change because God changes you. And today, she's married and has a loving, godly husband. And I am so thankful for that. So thankful for that. And it's like one of those few messages I have not deleted. Because I'm like, sweet. We did something right in youth ministry. But I always told the kids, I was like, look, you don't even need to date. That's just what I told kids. You can disagree with me. That's your family's decisions, how you want to handle that. But I told kids, I was like, don't even mess with it. Go out in groups. Go out and have fun. Get to kind of know people. Don't mess with the two who are ready to get married. But more importantly, I will never waver on this. For all of you single people in the room, whether you're dating or not, whether you're the age of dating or not, please, please, please hear me. Don't date non-Christians. It is a waste of your time. 
is an absolute waste of your time. Jill's like, yeah. Again, you can have that conversation with your parents. But man, Scripture talks about being unequally yoked. He says, don't do it. Run away from it. Peter was dealing with this because people were coming to the Lord and they were unequally yoked. And again, that may happen. You may run across people who one's, one's a Christian, one's not, a husband and wife. But if you are a single believing person, look for someone else who's believing to spend your life with, to do life with, to do ministry with. Look for someone with common values. Because then you won't even have to worry about verses 1 and 2 of First Peter chapter 3. Don't date the non-believer. Do not be unequally yoked. And he goes on. He says, do not let adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit. Which is in God's sight. Which in God's sight is very precious. So he reminds women. He reminds you. You don't have to be a sex symbol. You don't have to use your body to get what you want. Let what is inside of you come out. And, and I hope that encourages you because what we're dealing with in 2021 with Cosmopolitan and the magazines and the movies is nothing new. There's truly nothing new under the sun. They were dealing with it in Peter's day. He's like, look, you don't have to strut around like, hey, hey look at me. Woo. You don't need to do that. Well, good. You're at least awake. I was getting a little worried there. I did that in Africa. I did not work out very well. I tried to pull down my pants to sag them. Yeah, it didn't work out very well. Karen never lets me live that one down. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about. Women, I understand We've abused you. We've taught you that you have to look a certain way. You have to be a certain way. You have to wear your hair a certain way. You have to wear a certain brand of clothes. I mean, all of the television, movies, magazines tell you, you must be this. And Peter's saying, look, don't worry about the material things. Now, clearly, he's not saying it's wrong to braid your hair ever or put on jewelry. Of course, you have to wear clothing. He's not against those things. He's saying, don't let the material world dictate who you are. Don't find your worth in the things of the world. Don't find your worth in the material things because your beauty comes from within. Your beauty becomes because you're a lover of Christ. And boys in the room, if you're chasing a girl because she's hot and doesn't know Jesus, you're chasing the wrong girl. Proverbs talks about that. The women of the night, the women of the street run away. Yeah, I'm talking to you four back there. The only single ones I know in the room, Garrett's like, not me. I'm out. (laughs) You're too young. I'm not talking to you. It's okay if your wife is beautiful, but if you're simply chasing beauty and the inside is a whitewashed tomb, if it's ugly, if it's dirty, just move on. Don't let the adorning be the bar. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, we've got to set the bar higher. Look for the women who have that imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And I think, I personally think we have a lot of women in the church, in this church specifically, that are that. We have some beautiful women in this church because of their spirit, because they're gentle and they're quiet and they're precious. And I'm not going to name any names because that'd just be awkward and weird. 
But I believe there are people in this church that that are that. Sure, they dress up and they look nice for their husbands. But man, just their radiance and their love for God just shines out of them. And Peter's saying, that's who you are to be. Don't let the world dictate what you look like. Don't look for your value in the things of the world. Don't look for your value from a man from the things of the world. This is not a new problem. It's not a new concept. I mean, you can go back even further. And if you study anything with the Egyptian art, this clearly was an issue even back then. With the way that the Egyptian women dressed. He says, but let your adorning, let your adorning women be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty and the gentle and quiet spirit. That's what's precious in God's sight. Guys, in the room, that's the kind of wife that you're looking for. You're looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. Man, you're looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. You're not looking for that woman of the night. who maybe looks good on the outside, but the inside is an absolute mess that will lead you to destruction. It says in Proverbs, look for that Proverbs 31 woman. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Now, again, I'm not telling you to tell your husband's Lord. He said that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Of course, I'm not telling you to call your husband's Lord. But what Peter's reminding us is that at times Sarah submitted to Abraham. She obeyed what Abraham taught her because God was talking to Abraham. And he's saying that was what it was, why they were called holy and worthy. Because they didn't have the personal relationship with Christ yet. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so they were honoring their husbands, who in this case, with Abraham and Sarah, Abraham was living for the Lord. That's why he didn't use some other name. He specifically used a Christian father, someone who's talked about in Hebrews 11. Both Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in Hebrews 11. He's like, you don't have to fear the things of the world. You don't have to fear what's frightening because you're adorning yourself and you have a good and loving husband. I want to end with Titus chapter 2. And I think this is something that we could do better in church. Titus chapter 2. Teach sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. And steadfastness, sorry. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slander or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. But the word of the Lord may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound doctrine that cannot be condemned. So that opponent may be put to shame, not having, having nothing evil to say about us. I think one thing that is missing from the church today, and I would say for us too, is somewhere along the way we stopped discipling. We stopped investing in people's lives. And there are example after exam, example in Timothy and Titus in the New Testament of us younger people having enough humility Letting go of our pride to go to the older people and go, man, teach me. Show me. And likewise, older people in the room taking the time to teach us and to show us. And when we're out of line, to literally yank on our collar and go, what are you doing? We've turned, unfortunately, we've turned that into the pastor's job. And yes, That is an element of my job. But we are all accountable to this because it's the priesthood of all believers. 
This is something that not just I do, but all the elders should model and help with the church. But I would say on top of that, we have to be in this together. The early church thrived because they did life together. And in that, yes, there were teachers and there were pastors and there were roles. And I'm not saying I'm exempt from that. But I'm not the sole person that's also responsible for that. I think somewhere along the way, we stopped being the church and we started doing church. And the moment we do church, we're not doing the little things like discipling people, investing in people. I laid down a gauntlet Wednesday night to the group that was there. We, we talked about Ravi Zacharias and just the fall of him and what that has meant to the church and to the ministry and to so many lives of the different women he abused and manipulated over the last 30 plus years. I said, guys, we've, we've got to get into each other's lives. We have to be relational. We have to be willing to have accountability in our lives. We have to be willing to have conversations. And it takes time and it gets messy. I'm not saying we have to be in all of us in all of each other's lives, but each one of us should have two or three people that we know well, that we sit down with, that we talk with, that we have coffee with, that we share things with. We need accountability in the church. We need to be willing to be relational because the only way we can speak into each other's lives, like in 1 Peter, like in Titus, like in Corinthians 7, like in Ephesians 5, the only way that I can speak into your life well is if I have a relationship with you. And if I've never met you before and I walk up to you and say, dude, what are you doing? You're a horrible husband. You're going to be like, wow, that guy's a hypocrite and a jerk. I mean, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to hate me for that. But if you're someone that I've, I've broken bread with, that I've, I've cried with, that I've talked with, that I've had relationship with, and I go, hey, what, what's going on? Not coming in and commanding and demanding, but asking questions and be like, you seem off. You seem distracted. What, what's going on? And hopefully that relationship is built and you respond. That's what church is all about. We need that. We need this Titus model. We need this in our marriages. We need older couples who've been married 50, 60, 35, 45, 60, whatever years, investing in the younger couples. We need older men and women investing in the younger men and women. And on top of that, we all need accountability. We need to be able to speak into each other's lives to iron sharpen iron and be the Acts 2 church. Because if not, if we leave it up to the one person or we leave it up to the show, we're going to continue to see over and over the Rabbi Zacharias of the church fall. Because there's no accountability. There's no one speaking into their lives. There's no one holding them accountable. And we're making excuses for the behavior that has gone on in the church for far too long. And he's just one example of probably a dozen leaders I could list like that over the last ten years that have just fallen. They have fallen. Whether it's debauchery, whether it's adultery, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's violent, whether it's abuse, the list is huge. I told the group Wednesday night, I don't ever want to write a book. I don't ever want to speak at a big conference. Because over and over, I see those guys fall. They get proud, they get cocky, they get arrogant. And they stop letting people speak into their lives. Not all of them, of course. Church happens here, amongst us. Not necessarily on Sunday morning. It actually happens Monday through Saturday. It happens at Brick House over coffee. It happens at the Garden City Cafe over lunch. It happens in the driveways because you stop in and you see how someone's doing. 
It happens over a card game at the dining room table, whatever. It happens with relationships. And it takes time. And we have to make time for each other. To live out these things, to have biblical marriage, to have biblical relationships, to be a biblical church, we have to make time for each other. And we have to be willing to get messy at times. Lord, we're getting ready to sing, bind us together. And Lord, we specifically talked this morning just about marriage between a man and a woman, but really it's marriage of the church and the church body. I mean, we didn't even talk about that. We don't even have time to talk about that. But God, we are all married to you. And we're, in a way, all married to each other because we've committed the same thinking, the same mindset to do life together, to be the Christians, to be the way, to live life differently from the world. But Lord, to do that, we have to be binded together. And to be binded together, we have to be in each other's lives. We have to be open. We have to be honest. We have to be transparent. We have to be intentional about building relationships. We need to have those few people in our lives that we trust. We need to have those people in our lives that teach us. And then on the same aspect, people that we teach. However, you need to constantly be maturing and multiplying. You can't have reformation without regeneration. God, we can't mature and multiply the church if we're not actually being the church. So God, help bind us together. In your name we pray. Amen.